0: listening to sermons from South Point McDonough where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org In 2016, I was 32 years old. It was right at five years ago, and uh, I've been healthy most of my life, and uh, at, that, at that time, I started having, uh, I was actually playing a lot of music at the time, and I was on a trip down to Florida, and we were playing at a camp down there, and so on the way down, my chest started hurting just real bad. Never had any chest pain, never had really a whole lot of um, you know, medical issues uh, at all. So I started hurting. Uh, on the way, when I got down there, uh, I was just like, man, I, it, it hurt terribly. And so I remember laying in bed that night. It was uh, July 4th, and I laid in bed that night and couldn't go to sleep. Chest just was, it felt tight. It was pounding. Almost went to the ER. Uh, looking back, I, I should have. So I'm like, I'm just going to stick this out. I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm 32. I can eat whatever I want to eat. I can live however I want to live. I'm invincible. I can do whatever I want to do. So it hurt all week. I barely slept that week, and, and each morning I was just, you know, researching on my phone, like, what is, what is this? How do I cure this? I'm drinking water, uh, trying to, you know, eat salads, the, the stuff that you do, like, for life-saving measures, and so uh, there's no other reason to do those things, and so uh, I, I, the whole week is, is terrible. I don't tell my wife because she's back here in, uh, in Locust Grove, McDonough, and so I'm just like, I'm just going to stick this out. I come back. I finally tell her. I'm like, hey, by the way, this whole week, I had incredible chest pain the first night we were there, and it's just it's just kind of been lingering uh, to the point where I can't sleep the whole week. So she said, "Okay, I think you should go to the doctor." I'm like, "Ah, yeah, but that's overrated, <laughs> you know." And so uh, I told you my doctor stories before, and so I'm just like, "Ah, I don't know. I just don't. I don't love going to the doctor." I go to the doctor uh, about a week after that, getting back into town, and and the doctor says, "Yeah, th- this sounds terrible." He said, let's go get an echocardiogram done on your heart. They run some EKGs, and they hook me up, and they run all these tests. Then he says, yeah, this, this looks bad. Uh, let's go get an echocardiogram. So I'm thinking, eh, I'll just walk this off. You know, just rub some dirt on it. You know, you'll be fine. And so I go get an echocardiogram. Uh, they send that back, and he sends me to a cardiologist, and this all happens pretty quickly once I'm there with the doctor. It all happens that same day. So I go in to see the cardiologist, and he's like, yeah, it looks like part of your heart is just dead, and I'm like, awesome. So what does that mean? How do, how, do we, how do we liven that back up? He said, well, we can't. I said, okay, what, what would have caused this? He said, it's hard to say because uh, if, if you had gone to the hospital when you started feeling this, then we could have told you that you were having a heart attack. He said, but since you didn't, I can't say that 100% for sure, but all the signs are that you had a minor heart attack. And I'm like, well, that's fantastic. So what do we do to fix my heart now? So he says, well, we can't really do anything. He says, just eat better, exercise, all those things. I'm just like, all right, whatever. So I go to get a second opinion. He, he says the same thing. I go to get a third opinion. I'm just like, i got to find some answers to this. And the whole time I'm thinking, how do I find answers to this problem? And, you know, you start kind of freaking out. And you go to, you know, I went to one cardiologist, and he said, I'll tell you what, while we're looking for answers, just go lay down at your home. <laughs> and I said, okay, I've got, I've got, I've got two little kids. What, what do you mean go lay down? He's like, don't do anything. Just lay down. He said, I'm afraid if you start moving around, you're going to go to cardiac arrest and die. So when you're laying there at your house, and people, family starts gathering. You're thinking, man, what does tomorrow look like? Am I going to be here? I've got a little baby. You know, at that point, I've got a five-year-old son as well. Stuff starts coming to your mind like, man, life was really short. I hope you made the most of these 32 years, you know, really like 27, 26 years of, of cognizant, you know, existence. So I went, finally found a doctor, uh, he's like my fourth cardiologist I went to. He said, yeah, I think you have this, this uh, syndrome called Brugada. I said, awesome, finally some answers. He said, I think you have this thing called Brugada. He said, it's really rare in men. I said, okay, how do we, how do we treat this? He said, well, there's not really a whole lot of research done on this because it happens when somebody turns about 40 and they just kill over from a heart attack. So we just have to wait till then and we can know for sure if you have it. And I was like, awesome, so that's, that's really cool. So let, let me know. He said, I said, so do you have any suggestions? He said, no. I said, okay, what? so, and you're like expecting me to continue that. He's like, not really. I, I said, okay, so what do I do? He said, just live your next 10 years to the best of your ability, and um, yeah, just e- expect to die at 42. So I said, okay, and that's kind of where the story ends, okay? So some of y'all are like, okay, and then, and then what happened? And so that was it. He gave me a couple medications I couldn't stay awake with when I was on these things, so I was like, I think I'd rather die at 42 than, uh, you know, sleep until I'm 85. So, Uh, So at that point, though, here's here's why I say that. Some of you are like, "Hey, I want to know more about that story." There's not really a whole lot else (laughs) to that story. It's just like, "Hey, I've I've got to try to take care of myself." And at some point, it's probably just going to creep up in the middle of the night. That's it. But here's why I say that. Because I would rather at 32 think, "Man, life is short. I want to make the most of that time that I have." And there are some nights I lay in bed now and I'm like, "Well." I didn't make it ten years, (laughs) so you know here we go. But I would rather know that, man. Here's here's the purpose of life, and and I want to try to figure out even at a relatively young age. I think back to you know now I'm like, man, I wish. I, And we we look around at the culture now, and you're like, man, that's a crazy sad story. We're so sorry. Uh, We'll well, you know try to you know be nicer to you or whatever it is. I'm not I'm not saying that. Like, and some of you all know that story. I've told that before, Um, and it's still something I you know struggle with. But here's the thing. I think our culture right now, we're in a cultural moment with COVID, with a variety of other things, with the ramifications of that. And some of us have, I got a, I got a, a text this morning. My wife sent me a screenshot from Facebook. And, and one of my best friends in college, she is, she's in the hospital probably about to die from COVID. And she's about a year younger than me. She lives in Seattle, and, uh, or she lives in L.A. She's from Seattle, and she's there at UCLA. And now they've, basic, they've almost, they're almost to the point where they've transitioned her from actually trying to care about her to researching her, her life and her death. That's where she is. And so they're just like, yep, yeah, it's almost inevitable. Now, I hope Susie makes it. Hope, I, hope she, I hope she comes through this, and by the power of God, she will. But this, is all, this has hit us all really hard. And even if you're like, yeah, I don't know anybody who, is, who has been on the brink of death, I don't know anybody who's passed away from this, we know this is what the culture is dealing with because we sense this fear among all of us. A- and the fear is, man, I don't, I don't know really what the meaning of life is. Wh- whatever age you are, if you're 12 years old, if you're 80 years old, it's, it's like, man, have, have I figured out life's purpose? And have I met that purpose? Has there been a meaning to my existence? And so while I hate the fact uh, that I have physical conditions, you have physical conditions, all as a result of the fall, there's part of me that's like, man, when you're laying there thinking, if I get this, is this going to kill me? Your next thought is, what is the meaning of life? And if I make it through this, how am I going to live differently? How am I going to make my life count? And here's what the culture says by and large. We want to find significance in what we do. The culture says find significance in what you do. And so if you, if you don't catch it or if you survive COVID, which there's a good likelihood that you will, but, but if, you, if you do or if you survive whatever it is, now go and do what you really want to do with the time that you have. Because we're all slightly scared, and the older you get, the more close you are to not being alive anymore. You're, you're slowly progressing towards death. And so the culture says, go live the way that you want to live. Do what makes you happy. Find meaning in and of yourself. Create your own identity. Don't miss out on things while you're young. Make make sure you set yourself up for the future. Make sure you travel. Make sure you see things. Make sure you have a good family. Make sure you make lots of money. Make sure you spend lots of money. Do all of these things. And, And inside of all those things, you can create for yourself an identity based not on who you are, but based on what you do, based on the way that you live. But can I tell you something this morning, friend? You can find your identity in Christ. Your identity is supposed to be in Christ. And in Christ, there is great freedom. There is great rest. His burden is not difficult. It is easy. He says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden he'll give you what he'll give you rest is there any rest in what the culture has to offer no go more get some more followers create some more interesting videos make sure you get more clicks don't miss out on this thing that's happening it's happening right now you got to see it hey did you hear about that did you hear the new album it just came out seven minutes ago i'm one of the first people to know about it we, we can't miss out on anything there's no rest offered by the culture, but I want us to see this morning that our identity, if found in Christ, brings us great rest, brings us great comfort, brings us peace, not because of what we can do, but because of what he has done, and so this morning, wherever you are, if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with trying to chase the next thing, or trying to create identity for yourself, or trying to fill some sort of God-shaped hole in your life, that is found and that is filled with Christ and with Christ alone. That's it. Like we just sang, that is our only hope in death, but also in life. That is our hope. So as we've been talking for the past couple of weeks about that identity that we have in Christ and the identity that we have at church, we've addressed a couple of, of primary problems that we see in the culture and that we see in ourselves as individuals and probably that we see in and of the church that the first one that we looked at two weeks ago was spiritual apathy and we said a lot of times that the church is fighting against apostasy and we're like hey don't don't believe the wrong things believe the right things but i think where the, where the culture is right now, where the church culture is today and i think where most of us land is not so much in, not, in believing the wrong things but it's in finding joy in christ and in christ alone and we said that our heartbeat as a church is knowing more of jesus is being in right relationship with Jesus. That is our hope for each other. That's my hope for y'all. As I was driving up this morning from Locust Grove, I was thinking, man, I, want, I don't want people to see me. I don't want y'all, And I mean, yeah, you've, you've kind of got to, like you're kind of stuck with it, but, but I want you to see Jesus this morning. And I want, when we leave here, I don't want you to think, man, here's something he said, or here's the, uh, the pants that he was wearing, or here's what David's saying, you know, whatever. I-, I want us to be thinking, man, Jesus is so worthy of worship. He's so beautiful. I want us at the end of August 2021 to be more in love with Jesus than we were at the end of July. And by the end of 2021, I want us to be more in love with Jesus than we are today. And this time next year, our hope, hopefully for each other, my hope for you is that you're more in love with Jesus than you are today. We should be growing in our love for Jesus. That's how we fight spiritual apathy. But the second thing that we looked at, we saw this last week, was not just spiritual apathy, but this this self-centered culture. And again, the, the culture says, hey, do what you want, live the way that you want. You can create your identity, and then on a dime, you can change your identity to whatever you want it to be. You don't like that? Just try something else. I think it's interesting. One of the things that we saw last week is that isolation is the greatest barrier to growth. And we talked about community. And so if you're like, okay, how's he, how's he getting here? Uh, week before last was Colossians 1, and we saw the preeminence of Christ. Last week, we saw Colossians 3. We are made to be in community. From the beginning, that's how Adam and Eve were created, is to be in community. I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's any wonder that the church has taken the culture's ideals of self-centered individualism and we've said hey let's appeal to the masses and, and if you don't like something you know what we're going to change that you, you don't like that you know what i don't really like that song either now that you said it yeah we're not going to do that song anymore thanks for mentioning that brother as long as we keep you here we, we don't want you to be mad about anything we, we don't want it to be too hot or too cold in the room we, we want the lights to be just right not too dark not too bright because we want everybody to have a really good experience because this is mainly about you we've taken that from the culture and said, and, and by the way, I, I realize sometimes it's cold or hot in here. And I apologize for that. I, I, if, if, if sweating was a spiritual gift, I would have it. If I could do it for a living, I would be, I'd be a multimillionaire. So um, and I didn't set the error, by the way, but I, I realize that those are problems that we all deal with. Uh, so I, I forget where I was going with that. Uh, the, the church has taken the culture's ideal of self-centeredness, though, and, and we've said, hey, let's make the church mainly about the people, Instead of about the coming of a glorious king to reign on the earth for all time. That's the message of the church. That should be the message of the church. But we've made it self centered. But then when we say, hey, be a disciple who is self serving and involved in community and you're living on mission, and people are like, no, I don't think I want to do that. It's like, well, why not? Because for years the church has said, we just want you to be comfortable. And and if you don't like it here, we'll change. And we as individuals, we think, you know, I I didn't really like that. I want to go somewhere where I can fit in. I want to go somewhere where, you know what, even if the gospel isn't preached, even if Jesus isn't put on display, I want to feel better about this over here. I don't have to serve as much. I don't have to be as as open or as honest or as transparent. And so we've taken those ideals, and then we're surprised that people don't want to follow Jesus in sacrificial love for others. I, I think about the church in Afghanistan. Think about them this morning. We, me and my boys and my wife, we've been praying for them almost every night this week. And you see these stories coming out about, uh, about what's happening in Afghanistan and, and tossing babies over these fences to American soldiers. This crazy. It's wild. But consider the churches for a minute. My wife shared a uh, post with me. I should have put it on the screen. My, my, wife, my wife shared a post with me that she saw on Facebook. And it was, it was uh, this weekend, Afghanistan, Afghanistan Christians will go to be with the gathered body in their church even if it means death. Afghans are gathering to worship Jesus, even if it means death. American Christians will go to church this weekend unless there's a barbecue, a baby shower, they wake up late, they have the sniffles, they're a little sore from everything they did yesterday, there's a good game coming on at one o'clock, whatever it is, For the most part, our culture is self-serving. You know what, if you don't want to be here, just shoot for 50%. And now we're at 50% uh, attendance rate nationally for churches, and we're like, man, what happened? Why do people only show up to half of the Sundays? Why are they only there at half of the life groups? Why are they not involved in a DNA group? Because you've made church all about you. That's not the way that we are created. Our identity comes from God. We are to worship him, worship him alone. He alone is preeminent. We are created to be in community, and then this morning we're going to see at the end of Colossians chapter 1 that the mission of God is for the world. That's what I want us to see. This is a simple three-part series that we've looked at, but we know that we are made to spend time to know God, to know Him intimately, to know each other intimately, to be in community, but we're also made for the sake of the lost were made from the very beginning. God told Adam and Eve, he he gave them one mandate. He said, fill the earth with worshipers of me. The the mission of God has not changed. That's still his mission. And we can say, oh, what's the mission of the church? Or our church's mission statement is this, and our church has a different, and that's fine. But just know that it's not, okay, now the, the church exists to create the mission of God. That's not it. The mission of God from day one encompasses the church. So the church has picked up the mission of God, which was there thousands of years before Jesus even came. The mission of God is to, f- preaching, that's our mission as well, is to fill the earth with the glory of God, to fill the earth with worshipers. That mission has not changed. So the mission of God is for the world. Col- Colossians chapter 1. We'll start in verse number 21. <clears throat> in this kind of this dovetails what we saw two weeks ago. Here, and here you're like, this is, kind of is going to be an odd passage. You're like, I've never heard anybody preach a, a, a missions outreach passage from, uh, or sermon from Colossians 1, 21 through 29. That's okay. Here's what, and we talked about this last week, but, and maybe you've thought about it this week some, but every community has a mission. Whatever community you're a part of, family, um, HOA, if you're at work, every one of those communities, if you have a a hobby, uh, fantasy football, whatever community you're a part of, it has a mission. There is a mission there. And, And this right here is the mission of God which ties in our identity and the preeminence of Christ and how we live together as a community. Without this right here, the knowledge of God for the sake of the body and for the sake of those around us, there's really no point to our community. So this right here is kind of that, that ligament that's joining that structure together right here in the middle. So Colossians chapter one, Paul picks up in verse number 21. He says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has now been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here's what we see first. This is where, this is where he begins by talking to the Colossian church. He's like, yeah, y'all who, are, who call yourselves Christians, you who are doing really good things, don't forget about who Jesus is. And I would challenge you. The sermon two weeks ago, uh, I, I keep thinking back. In, in my life, when, when I want to turn away from the things of God, I'm quickly reminded to turn my eyes, set my eyes, like he says at the beginning of Colossians 1 set your eyes, set your gaze, your wonder to Jesus in the midst of that temptation to sin. Set your eyes to Jesus when you want to go spend money and live for yourself. Set your eyes to Jesus. Have you been doing that the past two weeks? I know I have, and it, it stinks. Like, it really hurts. It does. And so I would encourage you this morning, even as we we read through this, this is not just for the sake of, of, okay, interesting. I didn't know that about Colossians 1. I want us to go home and chew on these things, and for this to affect the way that we live, for this to affect the way that we spend money, and spend our time, and spend our conversations. But he says right here, the first thing that we see is that we are reconciled to God. We were alienated, we were separated from God, but now we are reconciled to God. This isn't, sometimes we, we either go to church or we read the Bible or we do a Bible study for the sake of ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm all for individual growth. But in the same way that we have been reconciled to God, our pursuit of God is not just for us alone. We're not spiritual orphans who have just been adopted and now we're an only child. And the knowledge of God is for us. We pursue the knowledge and glory of God for the sake of his body. And then we go to a loss and to a dying world. That's what true discipleship is. It's not just for others, and it's not just for knowing God, but it's both of these things together. We have been reconciled. That literally means two enemies, two erring parties, one a rebel. We've turned our back on God, and God says, man, you deserve my wrath. But through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we've been brought together and made one where you can't even see the separation anymore. And we think about it as, You know, we can reconcile with, uh, I had a a call this week, and uh, it reminded me of of reconciliation with someone in my life, and and we can be reconciled with someone in this world, but when we are reconciled with God, we're made one, and there is nothing that can separate that. This is not a temporary reconciliation. When we are made one with God, when we are adopted and made his children, there is nothing that can pull us apart from him. There's nothing that we can do to earn a greater identity in in light of what he's done. There's nothing so bad that his identity is like, oh, you know what? That's so bad. I don't want to be a part of that. No. We're made one with God. We have been reconciled in his body of flesh because of him. He says there in verse number 23, he says, this happens if indeed you continue in the faith. So he, he says this is not based on a, on a decision, but this is based on, some, on someone who is following Christ. In the scriptures, we call that a disciple. We, we say if you are not just basing your salvation on a decision, but if you've been reconciled to God, you're going to continue to walk with him. So this discipleship does not mean less Bible. It doesn't mean, you know what, I, I think I'm good on the Bible. No, you continue, you grow in the faith, stable and steadfast how do you do that? It's not with less Bible, it's more Bible. It's not with fewer spiritual disciplines, it's more spiritual disciplines. It's, it's with understanding the Word more and more, understanding Christ more and more. This is, this is not, and, and there are some folks who, um, who ask me uh, if we can speak to certain issues. Or, hey, what are, your, what are your thoughts on this, Pastor? From a pastor's perspective, what do you think about this? As a pastor, my care is not for the science surrounding COVID-19. My care is not for um, the maybe the semantics of our culture. It's not to figure out, okay, where do I land on this? Should we, should we do this or should we not do this? My number one goal, and I speak on behalf of the pastors here of this church, my number one goal, our number one goal is for your soul. And so we don't say, hey, come to South Point because we have really good Jesus and really good coffee. I saw a, a sticker on the back of somebody's windshield this past week, um, and it said, all I need to start my day is a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of coffee. I'm, I'm like, well, I mean, and I, I'm not, I didn't, you know, throw a rock in the back of a window. I didn't run her off the road, anything like that. But I thought, man, that's when we, when we begin thinking, okay, Jesus and coffee, Jesus and politics, Jesus and sports, Jesus and food, what, whatever those things are, We lower Jesus to the standing of those things that we think are so important. Here Paul says, be steadfast in your faith. There's nothing wrong with any of those other things. Nothing at all. But make sure that Jesus is preeminent in your life. He says there, he finishes, uh, in the middle of verse 23, remain steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. I'm not naive enough to think that just because we stand here on Sundays in, in our life groups and in DNA groups that we, that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, yeah, that's, that's the only influence of your life. I don't think that. Most of sermon prep time for me is thinking, man, what are, the, what are the felt needs of those in our body? What lies is our culture throwing at us that we have to combat with scripture? So coming and hearing the gospel for 30, 40 minutes a week but then going and watching Netflix for hours and dozens of hours in a week and hearing the values of our culture through Netflix or through your coworkers or even through Christian polemicists, you know. Like, there are some really good things. But compared to the gospel, they are not the best thing. This is what we are to remain steadfast in, the gospel that you heard. So he says, you are reconciled to God. But then he says, we'll pick up in verse number 24. We are also stewards of grace, verse twenty four. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I couldn't help but when I was reading this the past couple of weeks, but think about the church in Afghanistan. I thought, man, and everybody has suffering in their life to to one degree or another. But I think by and large, right now, most of us in the room, um, I mean, t- to some degree, um, I saw somebody. Sh- shared it on Facebook, a guy named Billy Foote actually, who wrote Amazing Grace. Anyway, now all he does is catch fish, but he, he, he posted a picture of, of Joel Osteen's book, you know, uh, Your Best Life Now. And I thought, yeah, let's, and he was, he was being incredibly sarcastic. He said, maybe we could send a, a bunch of cases of, of this book, Your Best Life Now, to the Christians in Afghanistan so we could encourage them. And I thought, man, what a, what a mockery of the Apostle Paul Because what does he do here? He says, I find joy not in the blessings of God, in everything being well, in the fact that I can put gas in my car and drive around and do whatever I want to. The internet was slow at my house this week and I thought I was going to die, you know? But no, here, and we can look around brothers and sisters around the world and we're like, man, that's suffering. So Paul says here, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So let's go back and look. So, Real quick, um, a quick grammatical study. When Paul says he's, fill- he's completing, he's filling up Christ's affections, he's not saying, hey, Christ didn't suffer enough, and so we have to suffer also. He's saying he's completing that, and it's a, it's a byproduct. He's saying in the same way that Christ suffered, we who follow him mimic that, and that suffering continues for those who follow him. Be- because Christ was put to death, what did he tell his disciples? He said, you need to follow me, not in life. He said, follow me in death. He doesn't say, hey, because I died, now you can live the best life. He says, because I died, this is the way they treated me, the perfect son of God. You can expect the same thing for yourself. So that's when, when Paul says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He's saying, that is continuing. Christ's afflictions are done, but ours are just beginning. But he says in verse 25, of which I became a minister and we can see this, I would encourage you, uh, go look at Ephesians chapter 2. He says, we are all ministers of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 4, he's, he tells the pastors, he says, to the church I gave apostles, prophets, uh, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for the sake of the saints, the ministers doing the work of the ministry. And that word minister literally means a servant. It's what we, the same word that we get for, for deacon. And it's, it's not saying, okay, hey, I'm a, I'm a minister. There's not an, a, an expert in an amateur divide second or first peter chapter two verse number five what does he say we're being built together as a house yesterday i heard monty preach in preaching lab on the fact that we are pilgrims we have this responsibility as the body of christ we are all ministers it's not hey i'm a minister and y'all are simply congregants no we are ministers of the gospel of jesus christ That is our identity. That is our responsibility. And Paul says, I'm a minister for you, to you, so that you can be a minister also. He says, I want you to serve. But then he says, uh, at the end of verse 25, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me, for who? It was given to me for you. Uh, Our our goal as a church body is, is to grow disciples, is to be pursuing Christ, as disciples grow, the church will be built. That's the method of Jesus. He invested in a few disciples, and the church of Jesus Christ was the result. The problem is, if we focus on building the church, oftentimes what's neglected is the making of disciples. And, and just so you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're new to South Point, if you're newish, or, or if you're on the fringe, you're just like, I just want to go to a church where, where I can just kind of slide in, slide out, and nobody really notices me we're not here trying to build a church we're, we're not trying to get more bodies in the seats we're not trying to get more dollars in the bank account all those things are fantastic but our goal is to get those bodies in the seats so that we can then make disciples he says right there in in, in verse 26 we are stewards of grace the mystery we've been given this mystery hidden for the ages and generations but it's now revealed to his saints to his people go, go with me if you would to second corinthians uh in second corinthians chapter three paul writes this and he kind of expounds on on the mystery of the gospel just for a second and he's he's just got through talking it's a very similar passage that, that, that he's writing right here to the colossians and, and to the corinthians they were they were just a whole jacked up situation and this is probably actually the fourth letter that's gone to the corinthian church messed up somebody texted me this week um, and and he said hey what do you think about the enneagram and i said oh it's interesting I'm, I'm like i'm not not uh I'm not <laughs> I've read too many books, and I wanted to do a doctoral thesis on the Enneagram. Uh, I wanted to call it um, Exegesis uh, Exposition in the Enneagram, uh, how your personality helps define and dictate the way that you prepare and preach a sermon. Anyway, so, so I've done lots of reading, but I was just like, I'm not doing this. I, I'm, I'm staying away from this conversation. And uh, he said, what do you think is the most helpful thing about the Enneagram? I said, it helps you know how you're messed up and where your proclivity to sin is. Like, that's it. Because I'm, I'm one of the, the, the tools that we have in this life are not, hey, let me, let me help. The tools that we have in this life often are like, let me just show you how messed up you are. And so I know a lot about my number. I know a lot about some of your numbers. And I'm like, yeah, I can see how you are messed up like that. That makes sense. So when we look to the law, it doesn't help to save us. We don't look to the law and say, what must I do to receive no identity in Christ? No, we look to the law to say, man, we're messed up. But then notice what Paul says. So the law tells us how we're failing, but then Paul picks up 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 12. He says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, talking about the law, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Now notice, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And he's talking about there, about the Jews. He's talking about the Hebrew people. And this would actually uh, be true still today, in fact. Verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, does it say bondage? Does it say more cause to do what's right so you can earn God's favor? No, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord or being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the law tells us how we're failing. But if we want to be more like Christ, we look to Jesus. It says we behold his glory. That's why we preach the gospel each and every week here. That's why it includes the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. A sermon without the resurrection of Jesus could be preached at any synagogue, could be preached at any temple, could probably be preached at almost any mosque. But we serve a risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done. That's the mystery that was revealed. We preach the gospel to the, to the lost who are gather, who gather here with us on Sundays. We do that in our lives. We, we preach the gospel to the saved. I need to hear the gospel. I needed to hear the gospel again this morning as I was driving here. And, and I was reminded, my identity is not in what y'all say about me. It's in what the Father says about me. That's it. And so we don't preach and hear and read and speak the gospel for the sake of information, but for the sake of transformation. And we do that for the sake of transformation of those around us because we are stewards of grace. But then Paul finishes this chapter. If you go back to Colossians chapter one with me. He finishes these last three verses. So we are reconciled to God. We are stewards of grace, but also we proclaim the riches of glory. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. We just saw that in 2 Corinthians. Which is Christ in you. He is the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is what Paul is saying, I'm, I'm pouring my life out. He's saying, this is my life's purpose. My life is, is at this point, is almost gone from him. He's laying there at the, um, at the sword of the Roman government, and they're like, we're about to put you to death. He's saying, my life is poured out. My life has found meaning Purpose because of my identity in Christ. And I can die knowing that I served the church well, that I served not just the church, but also the the word that went forth to the Gentiles. Most of these folks were the lost. So he's saying, I I went to those who were far from God, not just near to God. I went to those who were far from God. He's saying, I've been a steward of Christ. Now go be a steward also. How do we do that? We proclaim. He says, Here we teach. He says in verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching. What do we teach? What, is, what does the Great Commission tell us? It uses that same word. Everything that he's commanded. Everything that he has done. We teach the whole Bible to the whole church for the transformation of the whole person. We don't, we don't find the parts that we like, the, the parts that are appealing. I, I picked up my six-year-old last week from, from Kids Church right here. And I, I, on, on a, I was actually still standing out here. I said, Kingston, what did you learn today in Kids Church? He said, I don't know typical answer. I said, no, you, you learned something. <laughs> tell me what you learned, and uh, he said, we learned about people who don't believe in Jesus. I was like, okay, interesting. Like, what's specifically about them, and he went on to tell me what they learned in kids' church. They were talking about apostates, and people who weren't just not believing in Jesus, but who were speaking a false gospel against Jesus. Now, when I was a kid, we learned about Noah's Ark, probably with some flannel graph, but as we're walking through the whole scriptures, even with our kids here, they're learning that not only are there those who don't believe, and I had a great conversation with both of my boys this past week as we were uh, as they were about to go to bed, about that. What happens to people who don't believe? What if they haven't heard? What about babies who aren't born? All these different things. You're like, oh yeah, we're going to save that for college. Let, let's let a... Uh, 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 a secular professor tell you about those kind of things i'm like no i'm gonna tell my 10 year old my six year old about those from the scriptures i'm teaching the whole scriptures to my family through the whole church for the transformation of the whole person so he says here we're teaching everything that we're commanded old young but then he says in verse number at the end of 28 that he may present everyone in christ for this i struggle and toil when we are driven by a love for him And for others, it transforms every part of our lives. He says here, the glory of God, the mission of God has overtaken every part of my life. The way that I live in community, the way that I spend my money, spend my time, the way that I spend my life. Paul says, Live like me. This is the life of Christ, this is the life of a disciple. I I talked to a guy a couple weeks ago, and he was looking for a church job. And uh, I said, Okay, what kind of, what kind of, what are you looking to do in a church? He told me some of, the, some of the things. I said, okay, well, I was talking to a pastor recently, and they were looking for someone to do something very similar, but it was like this. And he said, I don't want to go to a church where they're going to tell me what to care about. I thought, well, bless you. <laughs> Good thing we're not looking to hire him. <laughs> you know." But I, but I thought, we, we get what we care about from the Word of God. We don't say, Here, here's what I want to bring to the Word of God. Let me find the pieces that I really love and enjoy. No, we proclaim the riches of Christ's glory. We proclaim his riches, no matter what it costs us. So here's the question that I want to answer this morning, and hopefully we'll do this quickly, but in the same way that the past couple of weeks we looked at how do we function together as a body, the question that I want to answer this morning is how are we engaging the mission of God as a body? So how are we engaging God's mission as a body? So if we see here we're to be stewards of grace, we're to proclaim his riches, here are, here are ten ways. If you want to write these down, if you want to take a picture, that's fine. But here are some ways that I would encourage you, and a lot of y'all are involved in these things already. But here are some things that we're doing. Uh, the first thing is that uh, we ask and we encourage and, um, that, that folks would be partners. The first step is through partnership. And, and, and we would say, this is, not, this is not a club that you join for the sake of membership. And, and that's fine, I realize that. What we say is, is that we are all members of Christ's body but we're partners together with the mission of God here at South Point. Uh, one of the ways that we can partner together, by the way, um, we had a, a pastor's meeting yesterday, and we talked about some of these things, and, and we talked about, man, what do we do as far as, uh, what do we do as, far as COVID protocols? And, and more people are getting sick, and, and David stepped in and led worship this morning, uh, you know, because people are sick, not with COVID, but people, like you just you start to have a cough, whatever it is. And, and here's what, what we landed on, is that if somebody wants to wear a mask, Please, I, you can feel free to do that. If you don't want to wear a mask, then, then don't wear a mask. And you can have all of your reasons for either side of that. But here is, the, here is the call and the commendation of us as a church body. Don't do those things because you're trying to make a statement. And if you see somebody who doesn't agree with you and they're doing the opposite of those things, is your heart toward them one of love and compassion? Or is it, ah, well, here's my agenda, and let me overlay that with the way I'm supposed to care for you as a brother and sister. And so we as a, a church family and as a body, I had a conversation with a guy several months ago, and we disagreed on something that was happening in, uh, in the news and some decisions we had to make as a church. And he said, he said man, I just, I just thought, given, given your perspective, you would have agreed with me on that. And I said, why? He said, well, because of, of you know, what, what I, where I thought you landed politically. And I said, okay. M- my number one responsibility is to, is to the body, and, and I get my authority from the word of God not from what a political body tells me to do or to believe. (laughs) And he said, well, I guess I can see that. I'm like, well, by God, I hope so. (laughs) Like, that's, that's where we get our authority from. But the command that we're given, we saw this last week, is to love and to show compassion and deference to somebody else. And so I would encourage us as a body, especially in these times, what unifies us is not what we do or what we look like or the amount of money that we make, uh, or the, the fact of the, the, the theology that maybe draws us together or the fact that we came you know, from this church and we didn't like it, so we're all going to ban. No, what binds us together is the Spirit, and it binds us together for the sake of the glory of God. And so I would encourage you, if, if you're not a partner here with us, to partner with this local church. Partner with another local church. If you're like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking. Partner with somebody. Partner with a local church. Submit yourself to that leadership. We, we, have, we have so many in the global church who are just kind of floating around, not, not under anyone, so nobody is, under, is over that person the care of that soul. If you're in that partnership process, Chris told me, he was like, man, we're making an, a concerted effort even this week to follow up with this, to say partnership is important. So if you're in that process, Chris is going to follow up with you this week. There, there's, also, um, there's also an intro to South Point class. So for most of you, all your partners here with South Point, If you're new to South Point, I'll say this again at the end, but if you're new to South Point, there's a class next week called Intro to South Point. We want you to be part of this body. It tells you the things that we value, the things that we care about, how you can be involved in the mission of God uh, with us. And so that would be your next step. Uh, One of the other primary ways that that we are involved in, in the mission of God together is as life groups. It's life groups. We have these groups that meet geographically all around the county and surrounding counties. But the reason that we do that during the week is not just so that we can uh, close the back door on church growth, as they did through the 80s in the church, in the American church, but it's so that we can have a light, not just right here at 171 Racetrack, when people drive by for two hours on a Sunday morning, but it's so that we can have a, a light post there in communities all around this area. And so people know, man, that's the body of Christ growing and meeting there and going into the Word. So be part of a life group. John 13, Jesus says, Folks are going to know that you're my disciples by your love for each other. The only way that they're going to know that we love each other is by us inviting them into community. So I would encourage you, compel you to be part of a life group. That is one of the primary functions of spiritual growth here at South Point. Be faithful, be committed to that life group. Find one that works well with your schedule and be committed to that. It's not just for your growth, but it's for the sake of the growth of the body. Another way that we are committed uh, and engaged in the mission of God is, is individual evangelism. Is personal evangelism. What what are what are the ways that, that are that you need to grow in order to be more confident in sharing your faith? B- because we're commanded to do that. That's our responsibility. I'm comfortable with that. Invite them to join the body of Christ either in a life group or on a Sunday morning. Stats have always come out for uh, at least a couple of decades have come out and said if there was an unchurched person um, that you invited, there is an 86 percent chance that that person would come to church with you. That's a, that's a really good success rate. And so I would, we have empty seats here. We have more seats that we can put out. I would love for the lost to be able to witness the tangible love of Jesus in his body that we're able to exhibit here on Sunday mornings among ourselves, with each other. That's how they're going to know Jesus is by knowing the love that we have for each other. So invite someone, evangelize the lost. The next one is hospitality. It invites someone into your home. The idea behind hospitality is not someone that you know or somebody that you're already friends with. Hospitality is primarily biblically, linguistically, uh, a tool for outreach. And some folks are like, man, I don't I can't do that. Can I tell you you can't? But but what does Paul say here? We're empowered with the Holy Spirit. So while maybe you can't you have the spirit So you can, that's the good news of the gospel. You've been transformed, given a new identity. Invite others, invite the lost into your home. How else are we engaging with the mission of God is is that we have a food pantry here at South Point. We have a bucket out in the atrium. Bring non-perishable food items. The reason that we do that is so that we can create conversations with those who are lost and far from God and in both physical need and spiritual need. But that's a a method of us uh, initiating a conversation with them. The sixth way that we're engaging the mission of God is by knocking on doors. Chris started doing this a few weeks ago. He's been doing it for for, uh, several weeks. He meets every single Wednesday here at 10 o'clock a.m. I realize some of y'all have, you know, real jobs, you know, unlike me and him. And so you can't do that. But if you have a Wednesday off, uh, if you have a flexible schedule, we're just going right now over to City Square and where there are, are hundreds and hundreds of homes. And we're simply knocking on the door, Um, saying, hey, there's a local church body here. If you're looking for somewhere to know more about Jesus, is there any way that we can pray for you? Anything that we can pray about in your life? We're just knocking on doors. We're engaging the lost. Uh, Today, immediately following the gathering, uh, right there in that flex room in the atrium, there's a meeting if you're interested in in providing after-school help. Uh, that's, the, that's the other way that we're engaging. And so we have lots of kids in this, in this community who need help tutoring. And so last week I mentioned, hey, we have this facility to be used and somebody came up to me afterwards They said, hey, let's, let's start tutoring kids and let's, let's be investing in these kids, not just educationally, but for the sake of the kingdom. And I said, all right, I told Chris, let's have a meeting next week. If you're interested in that, if you're like, ah, the other things, I don't know if I can do that, but I can teach, I, I can invest in kids one afternoon a week. We have a meeting right after this. Another way that we as a church body is uh, that, that we're trying to invest in the kingdom that we're on the mission of God is through church planting, through church planting. And, and we've set aside uh, funds, uh, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars over the past couple of years. And even this year, and I mentioned that last week, church planting. We, we want to see more lighthouses and light posts going out in this area and around the nation and around the world. So I would uh, encourage you, this The the church is the only organization that does not exist for itself. With with every other organization, it exists for the members of that organization. The church exists for its members, but the body is to be stewarded for generations to come. And so are we giving our lives to that? We're we're to be not a cul-de-sac of the gospel, but a thoroughfare, a seven-lane highway that the gospel is going through. Because guess what? That's how it got to us, is by somebody being faithful. So church planting, that ties well with national missions. And we, we give a, a good deal of money to, uh, to missionaries, and, and that comes and goes, and some of those um, fall off, and they decide to do other things. Uh, some of those, and, and we pray for these folks regularly. Uh, so I would encourage you to give money both to national missions, and, you, and we, part of that goes from your regular giving, but be faithful in that. Part of that goes to the last thing, which is international missions. We go to support missionaries who are across the seas, who, are, who have laid down everything here on this earth. That includes the Sawyers who are back home right now. And, and we support them with lots of money, lots of resources. And the reason is so that the gospel goes forward. We want to be stewards of what God has given us, not just the good news of the gospel, but the fact that he's given us financial resources. So be praying for those folks. Be giving to those folks. I, I, I encourage people, I, I was talking to a brother this past week, and and we were he was talking about he said I just don't know what I, you know what I'm supposed to do with my life, and uh, and we we kind of feel that sometimes right, but I would encourage you, what parts of your life are reactive and which parts are proactive? Because most of us we are here. Uh, you do what you do. Some of us you're married to who you're married to. <laughs> you, you have the kids you have, just because it's like ah I guess I'll I guess I'll do that, you know. <laughs> some of you are like, yes, I married that person. Now what do I do? Man, you just suck it up, man. (laughs) Like, that's that's the decision. But that's where most of us are. We're reactive to our lives. If money was no object for you and your family, what would you be doing for the sake of the kingdom? Because guess what? We have the spirit of God, but we also have the resources of God. And so I would encourage you with, with three things, three questions. How many choices have you prayed about? How many choices in your life have you prayed about? You're like, well, I pray for the big ones. Really? Do you pray for the big ones or do you pray for the big ones that you want? I'm looking to buy a house in McDonough. I pray about that. But have I recently prayed, man, how can I be sacrificial with however many days or years that I have left? Family. Should we be here? Should we be somewhere else? So pray about those things. Secondly, where are you putting your hope? Is your hope in, in the temporary, in the immediate? Because... Religion says the way that you live now affects your eternity. But having a reconciled identity in Christ means your identity, which is secured in Christ forever, affects the way that you live now. So where is your hope? Is it in the temporary or is it in the eternal? Uh, The last question. At the end of your life, what do you want to be known for? I've, I've been to... A slew of funerals my dad's a preacher and so i've been to a bunch of funerals you go to people you don't even know i preached a funeral for a guy i'd never even met him that's it's weird <laughs> so i've been to a lots of those i've been to lots of those very few funerals are filled with lives of gospel aspiration most funerals are man this guy loved to collect butterflies or or this guy man he worked hard you've been to those funerals you know But what if our funerals were filled with stories of the way that we live sacrificially on the mission of God for the sake of his glory going to the ends of the earth? We can do that because we've been given a new identity. What do you want to be known for? The mission of God is for the world. It doesn't begin with you, and it certainly doesn't end with you. That's our goal as a church, is for the mission of God to go forward. It didn't didn't begin with Christ, it began with creation. But, But here's what Christ did. In the middle of our sin and shame, Christ came and identified with us in life. He identified with us in death. He identified with us in resurrection. And so he took on our sin and shame. He was forsaken by the Father. The Father turned his back on the Son so that in his death we can say, yes, I believe, I believe in Jesus, that he took my pain, my punishment, the wrath that I deserve. I want to identify with Christ in death, in turning from the things that I want to pursue. I want to put those things to death so that I can find life in Christ, in his resurrected body. Christ was raised from the dead, and after 40 days, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's where he's sitting now, on his way up into the sky, and the Gospels recount this. Acts chapter 1 recounts this. It says he told his disciples, hey, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Just let it begin at home. You're not commanded to leave a huge footprint. Don't hear me say, hey, make sure everybody knows about what you're doing. No. Christ is known by his sacrifice.